The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Amen. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You know what? This is, I, this is, you know, I've said this if you've been around here. This is my favorite season of the year. When I opened up my closet this morning and said, what am I going to wear? I found everything that was green and red and I put it on. And so here I am and I'm glad to be here with you guys this morning. I know there are so many of our folks who are out of town, but also there are so many folks who are in town today who are visiting family and friends. I know we've got some folks all the way from Atlanta, um, all the way around the country, and so we are so glad you're here from wherever you came from. I just want to say at the beginning of the sermon this morning, Merry Christmas. Do you like who you're sitting next to this morning? It's family and it's Christmas, so you're obligated to do so. Just look at them right now and tell them Merry Christmas. Go ahead and give them a high five right now. Tell them Merry Christmas. Well, I, uh, we want to continue our sermon series. If you've been here for the last three weeks in the month of December, we started a series the first week called The Christmas Feels. And our goal really was to explore several ideas and themes that are prevalent around the Christmas season, the ideas of hope and love and joy. And today, we're going to focus on this idea of peace that the Christmas story announces about Jesus. And so uh, wherever you came from today, I hope today will be encouraging for you. And uh, we're going to take communion after the service, uh, after the sermon, and then sing a few more songs. And uh, you're going to be free to go on your way wherever you go. We hope this is the best week of the year. Let me pray for us. I'm going to jump right into scripture and uh, we'll get after it. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of your son. Um, God, thank you for the themes of joy and hope and love. God, I pray that that would be um, the the resounding theme, uh, Lord, this week as we celebrate not just family and not just gifts that are given to us, Lord, but the ultimate gift in your son, Jesus. And so today, as we finish out the Christmas story, Lord, as we reflect on um, the pronouncement, the announcement of the angel, that there would be peace on earth, Lord, I pray that you would resonate in our hearts today this idea of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen, amen. Amen. On Christmas Eve 1967, Martin Luther King opened up his Christmas Eve sermon with the following quote. He said, this Christmas season finds us a rather bewildered human race. We've neither peace within nor peace without. Everywhere, paralyzing fears harrow people by day and haunt them by night. Our world is sick with war. Everywhere we turn, we see its ominous possibilities. And yet, my friends, the Christmas hope for peace and goodwill toward all men can no longer be dismissed as a kind of pious dream of some utopian. Of course, you know, in 1967 was just four months prior to Martin Luther King being assassinated while he stood on the balcony of the Lorraine Hotel on April the 4th, 1968. Just four months later, this thought of peace would come home to Martin Luther King. You know, military geniuses, history has told us that military geniuses have all spoken about peace and a peaceful world order. Napoleon, Julius Caesar, they all came killing in the name of peace. I've never read it, but I've been told that Hitler's autobiography, Mein Kampf, um, in it he narrates the idea that he believed everything he did in Germany was for peace. And so... Martin Luther King finishes out his uh, sermon in 1967 on Christmas Eve with these words. They are talking about peace as a distant goal, as an end we seek. But one day we must come to see that peace is not merely a distant goal we seek, but that it is a means by which we arrive at that goal. 
We talk about peace quite often. Greenpeace came to my door this week seeking global peace in nature. Everyone wants peace, yet we have another world leader who came 2,000 years ago, and it was announced about his arrival. Peace on earth. And so the question for us this morning is this. Even though uh, military leaders and world leaders all around us drop bombs in the name of peace, we seek peace, yet it's hard to find. Was the announcement about peace that Jesus brought, was that just another over-promised and under-delivered promise by Jesus, or was there something to his promise? The, Luke, uh, the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, we'll finish it out today. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, but the angel said to them, I love it. By the way, every time an angel shows up in Scripture, every time an angel shows up in Scripture, the first words are, do not fear, right? Like we think of an angel as, as uh, being this ethereal thing, and it's very heartwarming, but apparently there was something fearful about an angel showing up and speaking to humanity. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid is the most given command in all of Scripture. 366 times we see this one phrase, one for every day of the year, one for every day of the year, and one for an extra bonus, right? And so, and so we see this phrase, do not be afraid, and yet sometimes we may think worship God or love God or love your neighbor is the most often given command in Scripture, yet do not be afraid is the command that we see the most. Yet 1 John says, Jesus came because his perfect love, and when he came, his perfect love would drive out fear. There's this idea about the angel showing up on the scene to a, a, a virgin who is pregnant with a child. In her day, that was a sentence of isolation. The angel showing up to a group of shepherds uh, who were alone and isolated. And so what we understand is that when Jesus came and we have an encounter with God, one of the things he's trying to drive out is fear, right? Fear of being alone, fear of being isolated. Fear of, of, of relieving ourselves, of understanding that, that there's going to be somebody to walk with me through life. Fear of abandonment. Fear of being utterly alone. And here's the angel. And the angel is speaking directly to that fear. Do not fear. The angel is not only speaking to Mary. The angel is speaking to the people of Israel. The angel is speaking to Israel. The angel is speaking to those of us who are in this auditorium this morning. But let me say this. Let me, let me begin our sermon by saying this. The absence of fear or conflict does not necessitate peace. Just because there is no conflict and no fear in your life does not necessarily mean that there is peace. Biblically, peace implies something that is in a state of wholeness or completeness. Now listen to the rest of Luke chapter 2. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. We talked about that just a few weeks ago, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Verse 13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. When we understand this idea of peace in Scripture, we get the, uh, the idea, the, the whole thought of peace. It's not just the absence of a relational conflict in your life. It's not just the absence of fear in your life. Peace, biblically, gives us a concept of something being whole and complete. And Scripture refers to a lot of different things when it talks about peace. Scripture talks about relational peace, when there's harmony between you and other humans. <clears throat> Scripture talks about national peace. 
Jeremiah chapter 29 tells us there is peace when people seek the good of the city or the country. There is material peace, Psalms tells us, when there is a state of peace and wholeness with what you have or what you don't have. Um, There is a spiritual peace that scripture talks about when there is a spiritual well-being, the completeness about who you are. And so when we look at scripture, there are two primary words that refer to this idea of peace. The Old Testament gives us the word shalom. The New Testament gives us the word of arene. And both of these words imply something that is completed, something that is whole. In fact, the idea of shalom gives us the idea of a, uh, of a wall with no gaps, uh, a perfect stone with no cracks in it. And so the idea of peace is completeness and wholeness. So Job talked about his tent being in a state of wholeness because he counted his flock and there were none who were missing. Um, Solomon brought shalom to the temple when it was unfinished and he completed it. He brought it wholeness to it. So we understand that life is full of all of these parts. Life is full of all of these conversations that we have. It's full of all of these relationships. You have relationships at home. You have relationships in your work. You have relationships in your job. It's full of all of these parts. And when one is cracked and when one is missing, missing, there is need for shalom. Life needs to be completed and life needs to be restored. For example, this afternoon on your way home, when you stop at Ralph's and you're backing out of the parking spot after you just purchased all of your eggnog and all of your turkey and everything else you're going to eat tomorrow, you back into somebody's car, you bring shalom when you give complete and full payment to restore what was lost. You know what I'm saying? When I was a kid, um, I was learning how to play golf. I've told you guys this story probably a year ago, but I was learning how to play golf when I was 12 years old. And I hit a golf ball directly into my next door neighbor, Mr. Charlie's house. It went through the regular screen, broke the storm window, broke the regular window, and it broke the TV, y'all. We brought shalom, <laughs> peace, by paying for, or our uh, homeowner's insurance did, by bringing, uh, restoring everything that was lost. Um, before I moved to Los Angeles, we, had a, we, we put our house up for sale, and we had intended to move once the house sold, but it sold really quickly, and so we had about three months before we moved, or six months before we moved, and so we moved into the basement of a family friend of ours, a very large house, and we moved into their basement. My wife and I stayed downstairs. Our kids stayed upstairs in one of their bedrooms, and so it was around Christmas this time about three years ago, and we're downstairs talking. My wife and I and our friends are talking, and we hadn't heard from our kids in a while, and uh, so we leave where we are, and we come around, and our kids are upstairs, and they're giggling. And I notice as soon as I come around the, the corner, I notice something is not right about the walls. <laughs> My kids had found a bottle, a spray bottle of finishing oil, refinishing oil, and they had sprayed it all over my best friend's upstairs walls. This is not just like, you know, this was a, a 7,000, this is a very nice house. And when I saw it, I went immediately downstairs because I was angry and I was embarrassed and I sat on the bed literally for 20 minutes, for 20 minutes, and I was mad and I was angry. And then after 20 minutes, I got up and I said, you know what, it's time to bring shalom. That's not actually the words I thought, but what was happening was, (laughs) I've got to go up and repair the situation, right? So I go upstairs and and I apologize. And the end of the story was we paid over $1,000 to restore and repair, to bring back to completeness what was broken. Biblically, when we think of this idea of peace, it's not just that there's an absence of fear in your life. 
It's not just that there's an absence of conflict in relationship in your life. It means that things are complete. It means that they are whole. And the same goes for human relationships. Typically, when we talk about peace, we, th- we think naturally about a conflict or fear in our lives as it pertains to human relationships. Proverbs tells us, and it talks about, in order to reconcile and heal broken relationships, you bring shalom. In the Old Testament, when rival kingdoms would bring shalom, whenever they would make shalom in the Bible, they would not just cease from fighting each other, then they they would begin to seek the good of each other's kingdom. So when you read the book of 2 Kings, you see all of these kings who are charged with this idea of bringing shalom in their world, and none of them could accomplish its purpose. And so we get to the prophet Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah begins to speak about a future time and a future king, and he would look forward to this prince of Shalom. The scripture says his reign would have no end, and when he would come, not only would his reign have no end, but he would bring peace that would have no end. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given. Now listen to what he says, and the government. And the government will be on his shoulders. Can you imagine speaking to a group of people who ha- for hundreds of years had been looking to a government to bring peace in their world, national stability in their world, and nobody could accomplish it. And yet Isaiah says, there's coming a, a king. There's coming a king who will bring shalom. And the government will be on his shoulders. Now listen to what you will call him. You will call him wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen to verse 7 in chapter 9. There will be no end to the increase of his government, listen to this, or of peace. What's the promise that God is making to us? So just another world leader who's making an empty promise that he can no longer fulfill? A time when God would make right all wrongs in the world and he would heal all that was broken in the world. That's why when Jesus is coming and an angel shows up on the scene, that's why it was announced about the arrival of Irene. He came to offer his peace to others. He said to his followers in John chapter 14, verse 27, my peace I give to all. Later on, after Jesus had been buried and went to the cross and rose to the right hand of the Father three days later, Paul in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 talks about this peace between humanity and God. And Paul claimed that um, Jesus came to make peace between messed up humans and God. And he made this statement in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. It's this idea that something's broken. Something needs to be repaired and restored. And ultimately, what Jesus came to repair was the broken relationship between humanity and God. The Apostle Paul says, Jesus is our peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. He was the whole, complete human that I was made to be and I failed to be. And now Jesus gives me his life as a gift, which is what Christmas is all about. Now listen, once you understand that, once you understand the promise of peace that God came to give and what his son offered all of humanity, then you understand part of the essence of following Jesus is creating peace. Jesus said it himself. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
Paul instructed local churches to keep the bond of unity, the bond of unity through peace. And that requires humility, requires long-suffering, it, calls, it requires patience, it requires us to bear with each other in love. Now listen, I know you understand this. I know you get the idea that Christmas season is a season, oftentimes, that can feel like there is no peace. And if you doubt that, then preach a sermon on peace the week of Christmas Eve and see what your home life is like. I promise you, peace is needed at this Christmas season. And Paul talks about the local church being the, the seed, being the, 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 the product, being the, the example to a watching world of the bond of peace. You understand this. Every church in America, every church in the world is made up of people who have preferences, stylistic preferences, desires, expectations. And when conflict comes is when those desires and those expectations and those preferences manifest themselves in the body. And what happens is there is conflict, not peace. Paul says there's no room for conflict in the church. Now, I want to say to you, I have great friends this morning who tomorrow morning will wake up literally on Christmas Day and their inbox will be filled with church members who are complaining about something. I praise God that that's not this church. I don't wake up on Monday mornings and receive complaining emails in my inbox. In fact, I don't know if I've received... Now, don't fill my inbox today, okay? <laughs> I don't, know that I've literally, I don't know that I've received four complaining emails in almost two years that we've been a church. I'm grateful that Story City is a church of peace. This is a house of peace. But can I say to you, if you're a complaining person, <laughs> if you are a person who's going to get bent out of shape about your preferences, about your, your desires and expectations not being met, and be a complaining person, I want to say to you with all compassion, we love you, but you need to find another house because this is a house of peace. Jesus said the church should be the model, should be the example to not only to each other, but to a watching world. Unity through the bond of peace. Becoming a people of peace, listen to me. Becoming a people of peace means that we participate in the life of Jesus who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth through his death and his resurrection. Peace takes a lot of work. <laughs> peace takes a lot of work and it's not just the absence of conflict. Becoming people of peace means we're taking what's broken and we're restoring it to wholeness. And I wanna say this is not just a one-time thing. I wanna say this is a continual, perpetual habit of the body of Christ, of believers in Jesus, that we take what is broken and we restore it to completeness and to wholeness, whether that's relationships in our lives, whether that's conflict in our world. I, um, I think probably the place where I experience the most conflict is on Facebook. And I, don't, I keep telling myself I'm going to get off of Facebook, but I experience more conflict in the realm of Facebook than I do anywhere else. Just this week, conflict left and right. Not people caring really what the essence of the tax bill that got passed this week was, just wanting to create conflict with the exception of one person in our church that, that I uh, happen to see wanting to get some clarification. Most people just want to create conflict. Being people of peace means we take what's broken and we don't just create conflict in our world. I, I, I want to challenge you. I, I want to challenge you before you this morning. 
our pastoral staff should lead the way on social media and not creating conflict. If you search through my Facebook feed and you find a, a, a message of conflict, please confront me about it because we should be people who take what's broken and restore it to wholeness. But listen, Psalm says in chapter 85, verse 10, when the parts of righteousness and truth, in other words, the God life, when, when those parts are extracted from the whole, if you know Jesus, then you are whole and you are complete. But there are often times when we extract this righteousness, this God life, and when those things are extracted from us, Scripture promises that peace cannot exist. For humanity, that means that, first of all, we need peace with God. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Can I say to you this morning, if the God of the universe, please listen to me, if the God of the universe is at peace with you today, you are whole. You're complete. The God of the universe looks at you and says, there is nothing missing about you today. And if that's true about you, then you can experience harmony with others. You can experience peace around the dinner table tomorrow. You can experience freedom from the bondage of material prosperity. Whatever is conflictual in your life, you can experience peace. Pastor Matt, how? Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul says. Finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, this is what Paul says, dwell on those things. When the parts of righteousness and truth are extracted from who you are, when you decide relationally, vocationally, to operate in a realm where righteousness and truth are extracted, Paul says, Jesus promises, peace cannot be present. Paul says, the things you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, practice these things. Listen to what he says. And the God of peace will be with you. That's the promise of Jesus. The promise of Jesus that peace cannot be separated from righteousness. We cannot expect to live in harmony with others if we are in conflict with God. In fact, Conflict with others implies that we are not in harmony with God. You're not complete when the parts of your life are mixed with things that create conflict in our world. Material wealth, obsession with who you are and how you look and how people perceive you. I took my family ice skating this week in downtown Burbank. I love ice skating when it's 70 degrees outside. There's something fun about it. I can Instagram it and send it to all my friends back east, and it's 30 degrees and rainy. I'm like, ha-ha, nana-nana-boo-boo. <laughs> and when I signed up, all of our family, to go ice skating, I, I, I paid um, $88. And I mentioned that for a very specific reason. Uh, I wanted to know. We got there at 4. The session ended at 5.30. And I'm like, $88. Wow. That's a lot of money for an hour and a half of skating. And so... In the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting all of my money out of this experience, right? Like every time I go around, I'm like, that's $2, that's $4. I'm at 22, I got a lot of laps to go, you know? And as I'm skating around with my, my kids, and by the way, if that's true for me, it's true for everybody there. You paid a lot of money to 
to skate. Like, you didn't pay to sit and watch other people skate, although I'm sure it was funny watching me. I looked like an ostrich on skates, right? It was not pretty. I'm skating around. I'm like 24, 26. And, and, I, and, and as I'm coming around, I notice this teenage girl. She's sitting on the side, and she's got her skates on. And I came around the first time. I just kind of glanced and looked over. I kept coming around. And as I come around, I notice, like, I'm, I'm counting the laps here. Like, like, and she's just sitting over on the side with her skates on. She's got her camera out. And she's just taking pictures of herself. Nothing wrong with taking pictures of yourself. But I just thought it was interesting. Every time I came around, uh, you know, I'm skating. You know, this looks much better than actually what it was. And so I'm skating. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm noticing. And every time I come around, I, I notice it a little longer. She's got, like, different poses and, like, different smiles. And her hair's a different way. And, like, like I, she had to have taken 100 photos. It was unbelievable. And, like, finally, I came around and I just stopped. And I'm, I'm looking over at her, and I'm trying not to be awkward and weird, like this 40-year-old guy is staring at this teenage girl. That's weird. Like, like, I'm like, this is strange. And I had this thought, like, somebody, somebody has lied to you. Somebody has told you an untruth, that you are incomplete without something. You can open up Instagram every single day and see people who are incomplete, who are not whole, who took 37 takes to portray what is in reality an incomplete person, even though we look like we are all together. The truth is, is if you have peace with the creator of the universe, you are complete, period. You are whole. End of story. You don't have to mix your life and your associations and your feelings with things that create conflict in your life. If the Creator says you are whole, you are whole, period. An unhealthy obsession with somebody else's experience and somebody else's acceptance will never bring you peace. I have no idea why that was an illustration in this sermon. I just believe that God wanted somebody here to hear that this morning. Inward peace is not given by something you do or somebody you become. John 14 says, peace I leave you, Jesus says. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. I don't give you peace by, by 173 likes on Instagram, thinking that now you are complete. That's not the type of peace I give. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The peace that Jesus gives is not hindered by this fractured view and definition of peace that the world would give us. John 16 says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Peace doesn't happen naturally. Peace doesn't happen circumstantially. It happened supernaturally. How? When we are in tune with the Spirit of God living within us and we are listening and obeying that Spirit. And that becomes the seed that produces the tree of peace in your life. That's what the fruit of the Spirit says. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. 
listening to the Spirit of God within you, if you're a believer and you know Jesus, it's the seed that produces the tree of peace in your life. But listen, peace is not just going to happen around your dinner table tomorrow. It's not just going to magically appear in the air when family and friends get together. There's no angel that's going to sprinkle peace dust over your gathering tomorrow because peace doesn't come on accident. It's always intentional. And there won't be peace unless you, first of all, understand that Jesus says you're whole. Secondly, you're in tune with the Spirit of God to shape your countenance, your conversation, and your actions. Hebrews chapter 12 says, pursue peace with all men. Jesus said it in a different way. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? We don't just pursue peace so that there's an absence of conflict. We don't just pursue peace because there's an absence of fear in our lives. We pursue peace because that's the way the body of Christ was intended to function. That's how we best carry out the mission that Jesus has given us. It's why I'm convinced that people who stand on a street corner and shout religious sayings at people, inciting fear, is rarely effective and rarely brings about the peace they so think they intend. Romans 14, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. 1 Corinthians 14, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Do you have peace today? Are you already thinking ahead to tomorrow? Like there's conflict already. You already sense it, you already know it, and you're just trying to figure out how you can navigate it tomorrow or today. You know there's conflict in your family, in your home, in your job. You're trying to figure out a way to avoid it, navigate it, and yet Jesus very simply says, There'll never be peace, not just the absence of it, but there's something in its place. There's no conflict. It's not just there's no conflict, but you put something in its place. That's what Jesus did for us. He, just, he, he took away this enmity, this, this conflict between humanity and God, and he put something in his place. What did he put in its place? He put himself. He put himself in its place. And when you're a follower of Jesus, you know, part of our calling is to create peace in our world, and it's not intentional. I want to pray for us this morning. If you just bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't know how you came into an auditorium like this today, but I'm assuming because it's Christmas Eve, maybe you're curious to see if there is something to the Christmas story. There's something to the pronouncement about Jesus and glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. Maybe you're wondering this morning if you can experience peace genuinely, truly, authentically today. And I wanna to say to you very humbly, the answer is yes. But it must begin by understanding that Jesus stepped into your place. He became the perfect person of peace that we could not become. And his gift to us today is himself. And if we would trust in that, that substitute, him in our place, if we would trust in that, the scripture says he would give us a right, the right to become a child of God, in essence, to become complete, complete to be whole. Nothing missing. 
If you've never done that today, I want to encourage you to do so. There's nothing magical or mystical about how it happens. We don't want to embarrass you. We don't want you to say anything you don't want to say. We're not going to stand you on a stage. Simply this morning, if you know there's no peace between you and God because of your sin, yet you acknowledge today that Jesus took your place, and if you would trust in that, Scripture says, turn from your sin. Scripture promises today, not that you ought to be, not that you can be, not that you might be, but that you will be saved. Peace between you and God. That's you this morning, and you desire that. Would you just do me a favor? I don't want to embarrass you. Would you just do me a favor? That's your desire this morning. Would you just do me a favor? No one looking around, not to the right, to the left, to the front, to the back. Would you just do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand if that's your desire? Nobody looking around, it doesn't matter. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Anybody else? Nobody looking around. This is just between you and the Lord. That was you this morning and you raised your hand. I just want to say to you, this is a moment that you have the opportunity to have communion with the Lord and say to Him, admit to Him that you're in need of His substitute and sacrifice for you. Admit your sinfulness and admit that Jesus was the only solution. And Scripture says when we do so, God demonstrated His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That if we would confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. If that's the genuine, authentic desire of your heart this morning, God will see it. He will acknowledge it. And today, this is a watershed moment. Everything changes. You now become a child of God. Just a moment, we're going to go into a time of communion. If you just raise your hand, will you do me a favor? Just in a moment of silence and stillness where you are, have a conversation with the Lord and tell Him that very thing. Acknowledge it before Him and allow Him to transform your heart and your life today. Lord, we thank You for peace. God, we know it's uh, in the world we live in. It seems inherent, uh, God, that, that peace is absent. And God, we actually know that because Scripture speaks of it. But God, when we look to Jesus... We understand we can experience wholeness and completeness. Father, we can pursue peace as peace builders and peacemakers in our world. That's what one of the things you call us to as followers of Jesus. God, I pray over this congregation, these people this morning, that tomorrow, today, tonight, four days from now, as family gathers or conversations happen over the phone, God, would you begin to create within us this urgency by the Spirit of the living God as fruit of the Spirit, God, that peace would be the seed, Lord. The Spirit of God obeying it would be the seed that would lead to the true tree of peace, Lord. God, I pray that we would be people that would pursue it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would just look at me just for a moment. We're going to experience a time of communion together as a church. This is a moment where we recognize and remember. This entire month of December uh, is most often called an Advent season. It's a time we look forward to. Look behind and look back to Jesus' coming, and we look forward to his second coming. When we celebrate communion, we also remember, we look back to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. When we take the bread, it symbolizes, Scripture says, his body. When we take the blood, I mean, uh, the, 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 uh, the juice, it symbolizes his blood. The only thing, the only substitute in our place that's effectual for giving us peace with God. So as we celebrate communion, I just want to say to you, this is a time for those who have trusted their life to Jesus. 
to remember. It's a time of celebration. Thank you, God, for what you have done. If you've never trusted your life to Jesus, we love you. We just would ask you to be in a prayerful posture in this moment as you consider and watch what happens at this communion table. There are three tables, one to my left, one to my right, and then there is a gluten-free table um, above me. We got all the bases covered today. I want to pray for us one more time, and we're going to sing one song, uh, and we're going to sing multiple songs, but during this communion time, we're going to sing a song for you to engage with the body and the blood of Jesus. Lord, we love you. Thank you. God, we remember the sacrifice. We remember, um, God, your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, you said in Scripture, your apostle said it in Scripture, that it was a demonstration of your love. God, you also said that, that um, God, if there's a resolution to our sin and it only happens through the, the cross of Jesus, that if there is that resolution, Lord, you promise, Lord, life now and eternally. And God, we celebrate that today. You in our place as we take the bread, as we take the juice today. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.